listening to the Ready for Departure podcast, written and presented by Microlite student pilot Steve Middleton. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to episode three of the Ready for Departure podcast. Thanks for listening to this new podcast series, which is primarily aimed at student pilots. In episode one, I talked about the first training flight, often called the trial flight, and the general handling manoeuvres that are taught, such as climbing, descending, and turning. Last week in episode 2 I covered landings, something that had taken me quite a while for me to get to a good standard. Putting the general handling skills, landing techniques and of course a good takeoff all together are the kinds of things your instructor will be looking for for you to develop as a student pilot and typically those skills are honed in the circuit. So this week I'd like to talk about circuits and some of my experiences flying in the circuit at City Airport Manchester, otherwise known as Barton Aerodrome. I've spent some considerable time in the circuit at Barton, both with my instructor and solo. However, it took me a while to get to solo standard, and here are the things that I struggled with. The first thing to master is the initial call on the ground. I took an RT course at Barton, run by my school, and led by a Flight Information Services Officer, or FISO. I practiced the initial call on the ground whenever I could, while driving my car, while out walking my dog, and at home my wife was working late shifts and night shifts. Barton operates an information service, which means that they control you on the ground up to the hold. However, in the air, they can only provide information, which ensures safe operation of the flight. One further thing to note about Barton is that you cannot enter the ATZ without making contact. So while it's not permission as such, it kind of feels that way a little bit. Anyway, back to starting up on the ground and talking to Barton for the first time. Let's have a listen to one of my recent calls. Juliet, QFE 101414 Okay, I did say that rather quickly, but I can tell you it took me some time to master this initial call. A few times I forgot bits, mixed up QNH and QFE, read back incorrectly, or not at all. But like all things we do when learning to fly, it comes with practice. Plus, that RT course was really good and I highly recommend attending one. Next, depending on the runway in use at Barton, it can be a long taxi, which is sometimes good for warming up the engine and oil temperature. But in some of my early lessons, I was a bit eager to get up and fly, so I had to be told by my instructor to slow down. A normal walking pace is the ideal taxi speed, making sure to constantly keep a good lookout, especially paying attention to wing clearances and other aircraft taxiing in and out of the apron. After some power checks, and usually after sitting at the holding point for a while waiting for a clear spot in between landing aircraft, it's time to line up on the runway. At Barton, with it being an information service as I mentioned before, we have to get permission to cross the hold and enter the runway. Sometimes I've tried to jump the gun and call ready for departure before an aircraft has vacated or lifted off. If I have, the reply from the tower is usually hold position. Other airfields, especially where the radio services and air-to-ground service, won't require you to ask for permission to enter the runway, but it's safe practice to announce on the radio that you're doing so, after first checking that the runway is clear and nothing is on final approach. So here comes the good bit, taking off. My first few takeoffs were what I would best describe as dodgy. I was constantly being reminded by my instructor to steer with my feet, keep the wings level, and I'm sure all student pilots at some point will have been reminded repeatedly as I was, right rudder, right rudder. There's a very good reason for the right rudder call, and that's because if you don't do it, your aircraft will veer to the left. Actually, there is more than one reason for right rudder, but the result is the same. If you don't keep enough rudder in, you'll no longer be taking off in a straight line down the runway, you'll be heading off to the left. 
at Barton, that would put you onto the taxiway and then, then into the car park if you didn't correct. So remember, right rudder. Anyway, I wasn't putting enough right rudder in at the beginning, so this took me a while to coordinate correctly. And this was on a calm day. I'll talk about crosswinds landing in a future episode because that is something still not mastered completely to my or my instructor's satisfaction. After takeoff, with the flaps still deployed, there is a definite skill in keeping the climb speed not too low to stall and not too high to exceed the flap limit speed before they are retracted. I have a tendency to pull the nose up a little high and sometimes need to be reminded to lower it to keep the speed up. At 300 feet, the flaps can be retracted and then the aircraft retrimmed for best rate of climb. At Barton, we turn onto the crosswind leg of the circuit at 600 feet, but keep climbing to the circuit height of 1,000 feet. And I find by the time I've reached 1,000 feet, it's time to turn onto the downwind leg. It's worth noting that microlight circuits tend to be quite a bit tighter than the bigger Group A aircraft, such as Cessnas and Pipers. Although it is good practice to conform to any other aircraft established in the circuit, so sometimes I find that I'm doing bomber circuits because they're so much wider than what I have practiced before. Now that I've done a lot of circuits, I found that the downwind leg is the first opportunity I have to relax a bit. The takeoff and two consecutive turns can all seem to come at you at once, and at first it's a bit overwhelming, or at least it was for me. With practice, the feeling of a heavy workload subsides and it becomes natural. Then the next lesson you use a different runway with a different circuit layout, so you have to learn it all over again. On the downwind leg, there are checks to be completed. I didn't learn these off by heart for a while, but again found practicing saying them out loud whenever I had a private moment definitely helped. I've conducted downwind checks on the M60 and M56 motorways, walking around the hills of Lancashire and while watching YouTube videos of other pilots. I definitely recommend all these methods because they've become easy to recall for me now. I think my inability to recall these checks in my early lessons meant it was longer before I went solo. Once the downwind checks are complete and a quick call to the tower, it's time to turn onto the base leg where we slow down and deploy a first stage of flap. Depending on wind, this can also be quite a quick leg or really slow if you have a headwind, but again, it's easy to get behind the aircraft and situation because if you turn onto final too late, you'll have overshot and have to try and correct to get you back on the correct approach heading. I did this a few times and sometimes I turned too early because I was trying to rush. Again, it just comes with practice and generally when the picture looks right, that's when to turn. I mentioned the picture last time, something my instructors did go on about a lot, but I found it worked for me. I started to remember what the picture should look like. When established on final, if a normal landing, drag flap would be selected and the best approach speed for the EV97 microlight is 60 mile an hour, so I have to try and keep it at 60 all the way in. If too high, take out the power or add more if getting too low. Once safely in the field, or more accurately, when you know you've made it, the power can be removed and now it, this is the really tricky bit how to land and when to flare. You may remember when I talked about landings last time, I mentioned that I had a tendency to flare too early and too high, as I think I was frightened I was going to fly straight into the ground. I never did, but I felt like I was going to a couple of times. Again, with practice, what looks right is how I learned when to flare. I remember my instructor saying a lot, keep it flying, keep it flying, and what he was getting at was, don't try and force it to land while it's still flying. Sometimes I try just to get it on the ground, and that's a recipe for a bounce landing. There's a helpful tree line at Barton where you can park the nose on landing and it sets you up to keep flying down the runway until the speed ebbs away. And assuming you've been flying just a foot or two off the ground, once that speed decays it just settles down nicely on the grass. The nose is supposed to stay up as long as possible to save the nose gear from potholes and digging in. And that's a circuit. 
During circuit lessons, you'll probably keep going round as I did, so that landing quickly becomes a takeoff again without stopping. Hey presto, that's a touch and go. At first I had trouble cleaning up the flaps, keeping the aircraft in a straight line down the runway and then taking off correctly during a touch and go and my instructor had to do some of the things for me, including the radio. But again it came with time and lots of practice. My instructor holds the world record for the number of touch and goes in 60 minutes. I did try and break his record a few times during my circuits and even managed to break into double figures at one point but sadly I could not beat his 36 circuits. An hour in the circuit can be quite intense and hard work, especially as a student pilot when a lot of these skills are new and on particularly busy days in the circuit, it can be even harder watching and listening out for other traffic and maybe even having to adjust circuits for spacing or performing go-arounds, a subject which definitely deserves its own episode. But you land and you're not done yet. There'll be a long taxi back to the apron, probably a runway to cross depending on the airport, which means another radio request and an important readback. It's full on concentration from start to finish, and I often come home from a lesson, even if it's just solo work in the circuit, completely knackered and worn out. I think that's normal for me, but I'd be interested in your experiences in the circuit. Let me know via email, steve at readyfordeparture.uk. You can get me on Twitter, at readyfordepart, and look at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash readyfordepartureuk. And that's it for this third episode of the Ready for Departure podcast. I hope you found it useful and I hope you'll join me for the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Ready for Departure podcast. Music was by Josh Woodward and Chris Zabriskie. You can find out more and get in touch at readyfordeparture.uk.